Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. What's up, dude? Oh, I'm doing great. How about you? You got the old Nate Diaz arms up? Yeah, those don't worry baby, about it. Those little baby biceps? I'm way bigger than Nate Diaz. <laughs> oh, fuck. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, today, everybody, we are going to be talking about workload management and kind of going into the reason why we're doing this is we are going to start offering just a free 10 minute call for anybody that needs it through building a fighter with either me or Alex and to talk about your workload, what we can try to improve and really scheduling in general to try to optimize your training schedule, optimize your workload, and then optimize your camp so that you're not overtrained going into the fight. You're feeling optimally when you get to fight. So Alex, what's the first thing we talk about when we're talking about workload? Well, I mean, we've talked about it a million times, but recovery, right? Like I feel like as a general culture in MMA, we have a really like blue collar type approach where it's like the more work we put in, the better we get point blank, you know? And then we looked at like what deems our schedule. It's like, I think the number one thing that deems our schedule is our insecurities, right? It's like, I'm not good at this. I need mm-hmm. to train this. I need to train this more. I need to train it more. And then go to every single class that my gym offers, right? And then that'd be the second thing is like our, our, our gym's schedule. Like what's the gym schedule look like? What's strength conditioning schedule look like? Um, like what's the practical logistical times that we can make? And so for, I you know, a lot of gyms, that's like MMA practice in the morning or early afternoon, and then another evening class for technical something, right? So that's two days almost every single day, which is pretty unheard of in any other sport, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, and then on top of that, wrestling bjj all of that is kind of your zero to a hundred there's no well there is but culturally there's not a lot of halfways in halfways out right Mm -hmm. if you go to a bjj class you're going to do some technique which is super low intensity no intent like no uh metabolic effect at all and then you're going to jump into 45 to an hour of training which is live which is maximal intensity right so we Mm -hmm. we almost skip that middle part which I know some good coaches that don't and they they grade their practices very well and they pay attention to this workload management. But I also know a lot of coaches that don't. And, you know, that's their personal approach. So a couple of things going on. We feel like we need to train all the time because we're behind the competition. We need to get better. Um, gyms offering class times at maybe suboptimal positions for your personal schedule. And then the third is, is jumping into high intensity. I've had a lot of MMA athletes talk to me about return to us from injury, return to sport after a fight, return to this and that. They're like, like I tell them like, all right, go to practice, maybe jump in halfway or, or do some limited drilling and then sit out for the live of like, no man. And my practice is like, <laughs> I can't cold do that. Pool. That's a cold yeah. pool, man. You got to jump all the way in or you got to stay the fuck out. And unfortunately that's just the culture of the sport. So that drives people into rampant overtraining. And some people do adapt to the work capacity and like, that's a, a bona fide fact that people learn to tolerate this workload, but learning to tolerate the workload and to continue to show up every day and be consistent is great, but that doesn't always make it optimal. Well, dude, it's crazy. Like comparing MMA to other professional sports, right? And the, the two that I work closely with is football and MMA. The starch differences between how the NFL handles their in-season stuff or in-camp stuff and an MMA fighter handles their in-camp stuff is obviously it's crazy. It's obscene. Like think about the NFL. If they're in season or for a fighter in camp, they're doing maybe four practices a week, maybe 
And three of those are like a five out of 10 intensity. And then maybe they're, th- they're lifting twice a week, right? Yeah. If we're in camp for a fighter, they're doing, like you said, two skills session, one being a team practice, one being a, a little bit less intense practice, but sometimes not. Like if you have a wrestling practice, like you said, no matter what, if you're doing a wrestling practice, it's going to be like a seven out of 10 RPE on the minimum, which is ratings of perceived exertion. So RPE means it's a zero to 10 scale. You could really use whatever, but we use zero to 10 and 10 out of 10 being a maximal exertion, zero out of 10 or one out of 10 really is going to be the lowest level that you can get as far as exertion football, as far as RPE points, they might have 35 RPE points in a week for all their, for all of their training sessions combined. Sometimes fighters have like, I've talked with fighters and they have like 75 RPE points in a week. Yeah. Just be based around the amount of training that they're doing. And this is in camp. How are you expected to walk into your fight? Not being broken down. If you're doing that much training in a week, that just doesn't make sense. So if we compare sports, it doesn't, I don't really understand why MMA is so far behind and we let our, we let our egos take over and we feel like we feel like we need to do so much more. And it's that blue collar uh, background that Alex is talking about. But if we're going to evolve, if we're really going to level up, if we want to make a difference in the sport, we got to lock in our workload. We got to lock in our training schedule and we just have to be smarter about it. Working more doesn't necessarily mean working better. And every other sport gets that. We got to get to the point that MMA gets that. Well, and I I mean, I'll tell you point blank, two of the differences that caused that rift between football and MMA. And I think football was here and was where we were at 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, football has mm-hmm. been around as a professional sport for a lot longer. Um, a lot of the rules where we have offseason non-contact or we have our limited uh, contact hours and limited practice time is because the NFL Players Association. Right. Mm-hmm. They banded together as players. They negotiated terms that we don't want to be, you know, slaves to the workouts. We don't want to um, have to be worked so hard um, in the offseason and this and that, because, I mean, as you know, with college strength conditioning or any other kind of football atmosphere, like a lot of strength conditioning coaches will run rampant if you let them. Um, so NFL negotiated for terms like that. And then, um, and I think, like you said, there's a natural progression of getting smarter in our approach to training. And I just think football has been in the game, in the professional game, in the, you know, peaking preparation phase game for a lot longer. And so those are kind of the two reasons is football has a little bit more history there. And then football has a players association, right? A union, which hopefully fighting is getting there one day, but God, I hope so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, we got to learn that more is not better. More is just more. Um, mm-hmm. There's a good Tim Grover quote. He's like, you know, people like to, you know, say that they're on the grind, like to grind it out, like to, you know, continually grind to get better. And it, it portrays this sense of toughness and everything. He's like, you know what happens when you continually grind something? It turns into dust. It breaks. Yeah. Yeah. It turns into dust. He's like, and if you turn into dust, you cannot perform, right? Mm-hmm. You'll be able to, you'll adapt to the specific demands. Like I said, some guys adapt to the work capacity of the week, right? They, they're able to do 10, 11, 12 sessions in a week, but that is not conditioning for a fight. You know, in a fight, you have to show up for 15 minutes, maybe uh, 30, right? You don't have to show up for 12 sessions in a week. What fight are you talking about? They fight 30 minutes. 25. (laughs) Um, But we got to prepare for what we're actually going to go through. Not like I said, preparing for the training, right? So I think we got to keep the main thing. The main thing is one of the biggest things. And then 
start to learn what like what optimal training feels like, what optimal training looks like. And then that's the whole point of this scheduling call is we can take some of this, this, you know, metaphysical, some of this philosophy, philosophy type talk of overtraining and working too hard. And we can apply it to the uh, very practical application of changing your schedule. Well, it comes down to communication. That's the biggest issue here is that for the most part, coaches, not just skill coaches, strength coaches, healthcare practitioners, everybody, they cannot relay the message in a way that is beneficial to the athlete to show them that they don't need to do these things. If you can't convince, if convince isn't even the right word. If you can't just show the athlete that less is more sometimes, that's not necessarily on the athlete because they just want to get better, right? They want to, they want to do anything they can to try to win this fight. They're, they're Luke Skywalker. Most athletes will march to your beat. You know, you tell them to do this and it'll make them better. They're going to do it. So it's you, you have to be Yoda. You have to be the person that relays the message and relays the science in the most, like the best way possible for the athlete in front of you. You need to make them feel confident in the fact that less is more sometimes, and you can't let them get in their own head. That's on you as the coach. That's not necessarily on the athlete. While it is partially their responsibility, you need to take ownership over the actual act of teaching them that workload is something that we can try to get better at. This is a skill that can be trained. And one thing that I've been doing a lot recently, and it's actually helped a lot of my athletes is I have a big old whiteboard. I have a glass whiteboard in my office. I write Monday through Sunday up in seven different sections. And we just sit there and we write out every single session, including work, because guys don't realize if you're, if your job is holding mitts or sparring or, or coaching as well, that's still physical activity. And if you're sparring with your clients sometime or rolling with your clients, sometimes that's an extra three or four RPE points that could be overloading you. So writing down- Stress is stress is stress. Exactly. So writing down every single session you have in a day and then looking at the look on their face when they realize that they're doing 40 sessions in a week and they try to figure out like, what, why the fuck am I doing this? And then having that talk back and forth, like, hey, you don't actually have to do this. This is something just because you've been doing it up until this point in your career doesn't mean you have to do this forever, especially as you age. Cause that's another good point. As you age as an athlete, a 25 year old body handles a lot more stress than a 34 year old's body. <laughs> it's a lot easier to recover when you're 25 or 24 than if you're 34. So being able to work around that and modify your workload as you age through the sport is also a skill that you need to adapt to and something that your coaches, if you are a coach listening, you need to be able to convey that message in an efficient manner because that's going to help your athletes tremendously as they age through the sport and get more to that mature state. Be Yoda. Yeah. So like you said, when Yoda is training anybody, he's going to count. You know, I have a young, hungry, I don't know, 22 year old in front of me. That dude needs some mileage. He needs some experience. He needs to put through the fire. Like he can probably handle, you know, 10 to 12 sessions or however hard, however many hard sessions you're going to do a week. Like they need to do that. But understand that when he's a fight coming up, we got to change that or whatever. And then understand also, you know, we got a 32 year old in front of us. This dude doesn't need to be doing that much intensity, even if he always are like always, quote unquote, always has. So mm-hmm. you got to be able to command the ship, see the context and what you're working for. Know your athletes. A lot of this like uh, emotional intelligence that we always talk about, you got to know your athletes, know their mindset. Like some athletes, you know, and they come in on a metabolic day, like, no, they don't really need metabolic capacity or lactic capacity. Maybe they're, they're adapted to that through the roof, you know? 
But maybe that's where they get their mental edge. I was we about to say, to maybe them. some athletes need it. Yeah, like maybe I have they some athletes need that need it. And against my better judgment, sometimes like sometimes they need it in a, as a part of their cycle. And it might be yeah. something that, quote unquote, would overtrain them. But again, one of the main things is also on the other edge of everything we're talking about. The number one goal of just coaching in general is to make your athlete feel prepared going into the fight. So sometimes they just need it to feel prepared going in. And you have to adapt your training schedule around that. Cause you have to take that into account when you're laying out workload. If they need lactic capacity, that's going to be a minimum, <laughs> a minimum of an eight to nine out of 10 on an RPE scale. Right. And so I think that's important to acknowledge as a coach, like, yeah, maybe they don't physically need it, but they're going to do it one way or another. They, what, to me, there's two of the most important things that we have for athletes. They have to believe that they're going to win going into the fight. So we need to prepare them mentally, regardless of whatever physical preparation you're doing. And the second thing is, you know, they need to coat or they need to make weight. So that's some of your bare bones stuff, but knowing who's in front of you and tailoring their workload to that, um, which is why, again, we're going to try and do this in a 10 minute call because it's, it's almost impossible to gain a whole picture of who you are, be a messenger or any online questionnaire, or whatever. We'll do a 10 minute call. We'll talk you, talk to you about you, get to know your training routines, where you're at in your training lifespan. What's the context we're working for is an amateur fight, pro fight, blah, blah, blah. And then we'll write out that grid that Austin has on Monday, Tuesday through Sunday grid. We'll plant your sessions. We'll plant the perceived intensity of all of them. And then we're going to add up all these uh, perceived intensity scores and we'll funnel it into our piggy bank system. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think we laid this out almost, oh my God, almost this was like, like one year, of our first 10 ago. podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still a great idea. It's a great uh, practical imp- implementation that we can literally limit our workload in a good way for an optimal preparation. Well, and another thing that I don't want this call to just be for athletes either, because at the end of the day, like the athlete kind of has to fit the schedule of the coach. Yeah. I want, this is something I bet I would argue that the best way this call could be handled is yes, athletes need this and you should understand, but the best way for this to make an, in, an impact is coaches. Give us a fucking call. <laughs> like yeah. let, let us help in any way, shape or form we can. And it's one of those things that it's, we, we have the scientific education to talk about workload. We we've both been through the ringer. We did all this fucking school. And while sports specific knowledge is a hundred percent needed, there's better ways to do things typically. And being able to converse and not just have us talk at you, but talk about, Hey, this is what my schedule is. What do you, what do you have? What, what could we gain? And then us talking back and forth, that's probably the best way this call could even happen is because it's going to affect 30 people, not just one then. And that's a big difference. Yeah. And I mean, if we're looking for like spontaneous best results from it too, is like we have the coach and the athlete on the call, mm-hmm. you know, because then the coach is going to be able to reach their whole team and have used the, the grander ideas of it. But then we can also apply this to our acute athlete through their coach. So I think... um you know, the more the merrier on that call and the more calls we get, the better that we can, you know, talk and genuinely get people in a place where they can perform their best, which, and I want to kind of circle back to this, which is what the piggy bank system is designed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So our, our piggy bank system generally is you have a piggy bank of RPE scores. You can call them cents, you can call them dollars, whatever they are, but they're rate of perceived exertion points. And you have a daily spending limit and you have a weekly spending limit, you know, and that spending limit kind of adjusts on a sliding scale. Like we talked about based on who you are, where you're at in your training lifestyle and things like that. 
but a good general idea is we, we can't spend more than 12 cents in a day, right? So you can't do more to uh, two sessions that are more than six out of 10 intensity, or we look at a week and I think we had our number up to like, what, like 60, 65 for a week. I believe so. Yeah. I think it was 62 is the number we settled on, but I actually right. am going to push back on the the 12. Sure. That's what we originally had thought about. And the more and more I talk with athletes and I've actually, the reason why I talk, I brought up the coaches is because I've talked with our coaches about this and that's why the give and take really works well, because hearing their opinion, it's kind of changed the way I thought about it as well, because it does have to fit into a combat sports paradigm. So while we know the science is the science, it's just like we talked about with Christina, where we can't just trust science at the end of a weight cut. We can't taper these guys like we taper a football player to bring it back full circle to my original analogy. It has to taper understanding that they're going to be cutting weight or there's different stresses in their life, or maybe they do need a little bit more physical exertion. So the numbers I've been using with my guys is 16. That's, that's my, I can't, you can't go over 16 in a day as far as daily RPE. And then you can have no more than two red days in a week which is going to be the 15 to 16. So for me, that that's the numbers I've been using recently. And because originally I felt like my guys, even though we were training smarter, I feel as though we were leaving some stuff on the table with the 12 score. And I've, I've adapted the way that I kind of went about that recently, just because of seeing a little bit of a benefit by pushing a little bit harder, as long as we plan out our recovery zones, which is also a part of our piggy bank system in there right after those 15, 16 days, because you can't have two red days in a row. So if you have a 14, really it's 14 to 16. If you have two 14, 15, 16 days in a row, you're fucked. You're you're putting yourself at a deficit. You're digging a hole you can't get out of, and it's going to take two or three days to get out of that. Versus if you have a red zone day on, say, like a Tuesday, you take a green day on Wednesday, a yellow day on Thursday, and then Friday you spar again, you hit another red day. Well, guess what? You were able to recover on that green day. The yellow day is moderate intensity. That's our 10 to 14, really. And then that Friday, that sparring day, you can go 10 out of 10. And guess what? You're going to be at the most optimal state for you to try to deliver on a full sparring day. You get the most out of that practice, but then know that Saturday you're going to have to be at a deficit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of rule, a lot of rules to the big bank system uh, that you just went over. But no, that's great. Um, daily undulating stress or moderating your stress every day to fit a training paradigm like um, makes complete sense. Like uh, at Factory X and in Landau, we have Mondays are moderate, Tuesdays are um, a little bit harder, Wednesdays are red day, Thursdays a green day, uh, Fridays another red day. So it's like. We got to go high and low and we got to understand changing the stimulus of training. You know, that's back to Charlie Francis or back to any, you know, good strength and conditioning coach where we look at how are we adapting or creating adaptation one? And then how are we recovering? Because like I said, the winnings are recoverability. We want to make sure we have those yellow to green days in between our red days, or we have a full 12 hours of, you know, quote unquote inactivity. Or full 12 hours of not doing any training, not overly physically exerting yourself because your body is always playing catch up, right? When we train to the intensity and the amount that we do, your all body is always trying to adapt, always trying to catch up. It's never, you know, fat and happy, which we don't want that either. Mm-hmm. So that's a good indication of why, you know, on a tangent on why um, intermittent fasting is not going to work or why only training in the morning is not really going to work. It's like, we got to be able to play the game and really modify your schedule. And if you're full in to, to fighting and making it, 
you're going to understand this. We're going to be committed to making the right windows of recoverability, making it happen in your practical daily session, and then really sticking to the rules of our piggy bank system. Well, and it's, I said it in a, one of those quote posts that we make on our building a fighter uh, page. It's training is just a stimulus, whether it's skill training, strength and conditioning, whatever. Yeah, that is just a stimulus. Your body doesn't care about stimulus. I mean, it does, but that's not really what makes the difference. It's how do you recover? How do you actually adapt to the stimulus that you get? That's going to be what makes the difference in your training load. If all you do is give it stimuli and don't allow it to adapt to the stimulus, well, guess what? You're putting yourself, you're digging that hole that you can't get out of. It goes back to that double red zone day. The only way to truly get better is to pair our recovery with our training and do it as optimally as possible because the body needs to recover. The body needs to make those adaptations that we, we desire to try to get better. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so let's go over the, the rules, like some of the specific rules of the piggy bank system here as we go through, because, um, you rattled them off and yeah, sorry, I just got on a soapbox. It's all good. They plan and they, the, the beauty of the system here is they, apply these rules and they make sure we're hitting these windows of recovery. They make sure we're hitting the intensities. They make sure we have a good organized training plan for our week or for our month or for our camp or whatever it is. They're automatically ingrained in these rules. So, all right, let's start from the top. First rule is how many points do you get per week? I would say no more than 16 in a day. We don't want all of our days at 16. So 16, we'll say 16 times four, that's going to be 10, 40, 32, say 70 is a good score. You just mumbled a bunch of numbers to pretend you were doing math. All right. I did do math in my head right there. Weekly score of 70, right? We can't accumulate more RPE points. Really, that's 10 a day. Right. So 10 a day, we can't go more than 70, but now there's some specific caveats. Um, can't go more than 16 in a day. Correct. Right. Can't have more than two, 16, 15 days in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to, to implement what was, there was another rule. God damn it. Um, but I would like to invent a rule to make sure that we're not just spending 10 a day. Right. Right. You have to have at least in, in my workload for my guys, we have to have two red, red days in your week. Yeah, You have to have two days that you push your heart rate to its maximal capacity, because that's just a training stimulus that you need in an MMA camp. Two red days, but not in a row. Correct. All right. I'm also okay. It's a lot of these rules are it's N equals one. That's where it's, it's hard for me to make a hard, Mm -hmm. fast rule, but for the most part, I would like a red, yellow, green, red, yellow, green. And then yeah. one, one day that you can kind of typically it's, I'd prefer it to be a yellow to keep the workload, mm-hmm. but neither here nor there. If you get two yellow days in a row, I'm okay with that. As long as you're planning out a minimum of four hours in between training sessions that you can recover and adapt. Yeah. And right. The idea is to have some type of a system rather than nothing or rather than no consideration at all. So that's why I think this, the piggy bank system and us putting this 10 minute call out there is going to be super beneficial for athletes because it's not just, uh, we're not able to perfect this system for you, quote unquote, but we can give you some type of structure, which is better than none or just relying on your instincts. So I think that's where, where it fits in. Like, yes, N equals one. And we would adapt this to somebody that was, you know, full on or client or whatever, but this is doing more good than it's doing bad. Well, and it also comes down to, 
if you can get a wearable, if you can get a wearable you trust, I know the UFC uses Aura Rings, that also helps us tailor in everything you're doing too, because then we really truly know how well you're recovering. We're using RPE because A, it's free and B, it has a good amount of scientific research behind it. So we know that one of the best ways for us to track your overall workload is most of the times athletes are, are honest, right? They're, they're not going to say, hey, today's a 10 out of 10 when it was really a four. <laughs> especially MMA athletes. For the most part, they're going to underestimate rather than overestimate. And that's on you as the coach and who, understanding who you're talking to. But for the most part, they're never going to overestimate what they're doing. So that's the easiest and most free or most affordable way to do things. The next step mm-hmm. would be getting a polar strap, getting a aura ring, and really fine-tuning your recovery. Oh, uh, uh, I'm not a big whoop guy. Time and time. like Better it, than nothing. It is. It's extremely unreliable though. And I don't like that it's a $45 a month subscription. Fuck that shit. But the user interface looks dope. Anyways, um, but any anything is better than nothing. And being able to track your workload and track your recovery, which is also important, are it's going to take our next step forward. So if you're able to afford that, if you're able to buy the, I really actually, the one that I really like is the Polar Vantage watch, I believe. It's either the Polar Ignite or Polar Vantage, whichever one is the the higher price point. That one doesn't have a monthly subscription. And it also you has a negative 10 to positive 10 uh, tracking or recovery score tracking, and it'll track your sleep as well. That's the one that I've been trying to get my athletes to go towards because I don't really like a monthly subscription thing. As an athlete, you should probably buy one and done, and then you get to control the data that you have and not have to rely on, hey, I need to spend 20 bucks a month to be able to see my data. Um, But RPE is time and time again, been validated in the scientific research. We use it a lot in healthcare and it's an easy way for us to put those piggy bank numbers in, in an effective manner. And it's also translatable to an entire team. So it's, it's easy if you have a guy that's a one and O amateur, or you have a guy going into a UFC title fight, both of them can use an RPE system. Not everybody can afford a, a whoop strap. Not everybody can afford the aura ring, all of these different things. So it's very, very broadly or able to be broadly used and implementable for if we're talking to a coach to try to lay out their training system for their entire team, not just one individual athlete. Yeah, I totally agree with, I mean, obviously all of that, but I will, I will, I will say, but this also means something else, not to get on another soapbox that you need to know what your schedule is. Go, You can't just show up to practice and be like, hey, we're going over underhooks today. Like you need to be able to lay out your schedules and be able to lay out what you're doing in a weekly training session and not just show up and put things together on the fly. Because uh, that is something that also happens in MMA teams. That's something that also happens at a lot of gyms across the country where you have, oh, today's going to be a wrestling day. But the difference between a just technical wrestling day and a, hey, we're going live for an hour and a fucking half are completely different. And the athlete, if the athlete doesn't know what day they're walking into because it's not pre-programmed into their sessions, that's a problem. And that leaves us trying to manage their workload completely in the dark. If they just know it's going to be wrestling, but they don't know if it's going to be a six out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, that's a major problem when trying to plan out workload and train as efficiently as possible. Well, I would say that's majority of athletes that don't know what's happening going on into practice. So, uh, yeah, having that tap is super important, but I, I would tie this all back into um, discipline and ownership, right? Like, do you have the discipline and ownership to accurately grade your practices on a 
um, RPE scale. Do you have the discipline and ownership to make sure you're wearing the polar strap every workout and recording the data? Do you have the discipline and ownership to know what type of practice you're walking into? Right. And sometimes it is a, it is coach's variability and changing practice on the spot or on the fly too. So that happens on the coaching side of things. But this again is the next step in commitment to uh, perfecting your training week. So well, it's cool. Like I, I just have an actual real world application. Like I have one of my athletes, Vanessa Demopoulos, she's a UFC fighter. We've been working on this since she came to me about a year and a half ago. She literally, like I tell all my athletes, Hey, after your practice, if you're wearing your polar strap, take a screenshot of both the graph and the overall statistics. I will put it into our workload. Ma- I'll put it into your patient profile. Cause I have in my EHR, I'm able to import documents and I'll attach the workout with the day. And we've been tailoring her workload and trying to get her better and better and better well she's on a two fight win streak she's training less than she ever has before and she's performing the, the best she's ever done and it all comes down to just looking at the fucking science and being exactly what you said disciplined and having ownership i've told this to every single athlete i've worked with the only one that sends it to me after every single workout is vanessa she's made the best gains in workload out of anybody and it's a real world application to if you actually have the discipline to do this it is 100% going to pay off. Yeah. And you know, what gets measured is what matters, Mm -hmm. especially like for athletes. Like if, if we're going to be diligent and take uh, account of this every day, then we're definitely going to make changes based on it. Cause that's some of the numbers that we actually have, but yeah, exactly to your point. And I think that's a good reason why we started RPE is we need to gauge interest level. We can't just dive into the deep end with this and say, Hey, go get the, the polar, watch, go get this, go do this every single session. Cause some of those changes are just unrealistic, right? As much as you say that you're dedicated, you're in the fight game, you don't care enough to make all of these changes at once, or it's just unmanageable as a person, right? You're trying to change every single thing about your workout habits. So RPEs, easy entry point, mostly accessible to any athlete at all. So we'll start there. If we can be reliable on that, we start to know what our training week looks like. We start to feel better. We start to grade into this process. Then we buy a polar strap. Okay, I'm starting with my heart rate every every practice. We're gauging our RPAs more on a heart rate, which is a scientific, more objective output versus the subjective output of the RPE. We're taking the next step forward. Okay, um, now we need to start modif- modifying that when we get into camp, because in camp, ironically, you should be doing less. You shouldn't be doing more, right? We need to start to peak. We need to start to sharpen our tools rather than just throw every tool at the athlete. So uh, I think that's another huge misunderstanding in the fight game and is in the in-camp. Like in-camp, for sure, intensity all day. Like we're preparing for a fight. You need the intensity in every session. You need shit to be hard. You need athletes to go through some some shit in-camp. But what you don't need is that extra 45-minute mid session, the extra live rolls on top of your normal training day, which is already a red day. Right. So that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason we have the 16 uh, per day rule is in camp. Not only do a lot of athletes increase their intensity, but they increase their volume, too, which is a recipe for overtraining. Yep. It's a recipe for uh, grinding somebody into dust as to use the same thing you used. Yeah, but 100 percent. So when we get into camp, just have that understanding that we need to adjust our workload and really carry ourselves into a fight in our peak physical condition, not just a physical condition or a great endurance and volume physical condition. And then when we get to the fight, it's going to not going to be a surprise that all of a sudden, Oh my God, 
we feel so much better. I can perform to my top ability because I wasn't grinding myself into dust in camp. I wasn't adding a million sessions and creating higher intensity in those sessions. So I think it's really important to understand the workload management as far as it goes to peaking. Because another factor in weight camp is weight cut. You know, that's going to automatically increase volume, increase stress to the body because we're trying to decrease our body weight and we're calorie restricted in a more important time. So it's just fight week and fight camps are like designed in in a sense in the old school way of thought to decrease performance and to really grind somebody down. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I get it can have a huge mental effect and can help you be mentally ready for a fight. But if let's put those two things together, let's flip the the thing where a fight camp can be designed to actually optimize Mm -hmm. your physical performance and then put the mental behind that. And then you're going to have results like you're saying with Vanessa. Yep. Well, that's I'm off my soapbox. That's kind of what I got on workload. <laughs> you did talk a lot and I got <laughs> sick of hearing you talk. Most people do. But that's okay. I'm still going to do it. Um, if you, you guys you. want to, we're going to have a link in our bio. If you guys want to schedule a 10 minute phone call with either me or Alex or both, if we have the availability, please hit us up at the link in the bio. It'll be there when this episode gets released. And we do have a fillable template that I've already created. That's able to be um, filled out for the schedule so that we can see your schedule coming in. If you guys get in in touch with us outside of that, all of our information is in the show notes, both our Instagrams and our emails. And then again, we say it every time we have our strength conditioning programs at buildingafighter.com. We have seven pre-made programs. We have custom programs. We have a low back course. We're getting a net course. that's coming out soon. Once it gets recorded, Uh, we got a lot of stuff there. So check out our website, buildingafighter.com. It's Dr. Austin Shane. It's Alex Friedman. And we are out. (laughs) 